Hi, and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today it's all about sex. We're talking with Jessa Zimmerman, who is a sex therapist. And I'm super excited about this topic. How are you today, Jess? Jessa? Really? Jessa, I am, I am really good. And I'm excited about this topic too. I talk about it all day long. <laughs> Well, good. Now, everyone should be excited about sex, but that's kind of the problem is sometimes we're not. Right. So how did your heart lead you to do the work that you do? You know, I, I, I guess the condensed version is a combination of my own failed marriage, divorce after 17 years, where sex was one of the big problems, contrasted with my happily married parents for 52 years. Mm. And like... You know, all four of us kids got divorced. So having a happy, you know, happy couple raising us wasn't enough to equip us for success. And, and so I came to realize how important this is. And I really think a strong relationship, part of which is a strong sex life, provides a legacy for the future, right? The kids, the family, the, your ability to make an impact on the world. Um, it's like, I'm just going to figure this out and I'm going to help other people do it. Got it. I got it. Yeah, I think... It's got to take courage to be a sex therapist. In what way? I'm curious about that. Because I think there's a lot of taboo around sex, even though, you know, in our culture, we have this very weird dynamic of this kind of um, Puritan thing about sex, like, we're, you know, don't talk about it, you know, uh, and, and then at the same time, we, you know, we've got this really exploitative media. <laughs> which is all right. about sex. Super sexualized, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so there's this strange tension going on of excitement and guilt and shame, you know, the all rolled into one. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned to you before we started the show, there's kind of this myth that we're all gonna meet our prince or princess charming and live happily ever after, which means there's gonna be chemistry and it's gonna be dynamic and exciting. Uh, and For, forever right yeah. for the rest of our lives yeah and, yeah and and actually even worse sometimes people start out with really exciting and dynamic sex lives and then it transforms into something else so it's you know the truth yeah. the reality of relationships of all kinds is they're constantly transforming number one right right uh, and number two the chemistry is constantly changing you know and and yet sex is something that uh, I find I have clients who are reluctant to talk to me about sex. Yeah, yeah. I was I, to me. I don't think it takes me that much courage to be a sex therapist, but I think it can take a lot of courage for people to come into sex therapy as clients. Well, I think so. It it was, I think it, you you were either raised really well, or, <laughs> or you had to had to you chose to move through some feelings to get into that profession. Actually, I'm just kind of curious about that. Like, yeah, I was actually raised in a very sex positive household, very open, you know, that sex was good. I had, you know, mostly positive sexual experiences. So I came to this from a place of, um, I don't know, po positivity, mm -hmm. where a lot of people come into, you know, become a therapist to sort of um, overcome the own their own traumas or experience they bring their struggles to their work I guess I bring my successes to the work but I, but I've also had my struggles like I was saying um, so wow. that has made it easy for me to talk about sex and I think with clients you know sometimes I'm I'm setting a, a container for them to do that so my ease around it they can borrow that right it kind of it gives them permission to relax and be like, oh, yeah, we can talk about this. Because I get it's really hard to come in and tell some stranger, you know, all about what's happening in the bedroom and how bad you feel about it. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that you're 
assessment of why people do what they do is dead on. I mean, I know, I know a ton of people who do therapy because they've worked through a trauma and they want to help other people with, I'm, I'm actually a prime example. I came from a very conflicted household and had a very, had a lot of conflict in my life. And consequently the work that I do tends to be helping people work through conflict so that they can have creative conflict instead of construct, uh, destructive conflict. So right. Right. Sense. All yeah. right. So you had a uh, very sex positive upbringing. And so you bring a really healthy frame to this. How do, what kind of, what kind of issues do people come to you with? Well, I mean, I thought at first when I'm going to specialize in sex therapy, this is going to be so narrow, but it's incredibly diverse. Yeah. So, but I would say maybe this is surprising, but less than half, maybe a third of my clientele have some sort of actual sexual dysfunction, which means their body's like not working the way it used to, the way they want it to, the way they should. Most of the couples I work with, their bodies work, but their sex life isn't, you know? So there's issues around sexual desire, uh, what we call desire discrepancy. Somebody's way more interested in sex than the other person. Uh, they're trouble communicating about sex. Things have changed in the landscape and they need to adapt to that, but they don't quite understand that. They just think they're broken. You know, a lot of it is just sort of understanding the nature of sex and sexual desire and the fact that we have to work on this across our lifetime together. May we talk about both camps? Sure. So why don't we talk about, since you brought it up in this order, let's talk about uh, when people are experiencing sexual dysfunction for one reason or another. And this is, I'll be transparent, this is of interest to me because I'm partnering with a physical therapist right now in helping their clients have a conversation about uh, about their needs and what's going on with them and an open conversation, transparent conversation, uh, because a lot of this physical therapist clients actually do feel a sense of guilt and shame, not about sex per se, but about the fact that they can't have it or are having less of it because yeah. of some physical trauma or dysfunction. So I think right. that, there's a lot of meat in that. There is. And there's sort of two paths, you know, when, when anybody's having, you know, pain with sex or sexual dysfunction, there's sort of a medical physical line of work to do with somebody besides me, right, with a doctor or physical therapist mm -hmm. and see what is possible about solving that. And sometimes this stuff is permanent and sometimes it's not. So it's like, OK, let's see what's possible to, to deal with the physical um, aspects of sexual dysfunction. And then there's the sex therapy part where I come in to really help them expand their view of what even counts as sex and what's possible and exploring mm -hmm. pleasure that they can share, <laughs> opening up that line of communication and sort of maximizing what's possible right now. Um, and maybe it all meets later and things start working again and, you know, it, this gets easier. But if it doesn't, you can still have a really thriving sex life. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, what counts as sex? You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I'll lead into this by saying um, I, I once took. I was in a. Uh, it, it sounds almost religious, but it wasn't. I was. I was involved with a. Uh, what's what's the, how do I describe it? It was a, a leadership group, and one of the agreements within the leadership group is we weren't going to have sexual relations with each other. And my buddy and I had like a chemistry. And so we, we did everything except have intercourse. Well, not quite, it was not quite, not quite that extreme, but we were very physical with each other. There was a lot yeah. of sexuality happening. Yeah. And I remember 
uh, being called out by the leadership. They said, and, and what the leader said is, are you having sex? I said, no, we're not. <laughs> it's know? like Clinton, right? I did not have sex with that woman, yeah. right? Yeah, he didn't kids. ask me, he didn't ask me what that meant to me, you know, it was, yeah. and I yeah. didn't even know what it meant to him, but it, it, it was like, maybe a year later, I was like, you know, we might have been having sexual relations. I might just have had a very narrow view of that. So let's let's talk about that because I think when we talk about sex, we don't really know what the parameters are. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a it's an ongoing thing I mull over in my mind is how would I define sex? You know, because some of the definitions are like really heteronormative. You know, it's penis and vagina. Right. It's meant. It's whatever does you do that could make a baby. It's like mm -hmm. how limiting that is. So. I don't think we, I mean, any definition of sex has to be inclusive, you know, no matter what kind of anatomy people have, no matter, you know, if it's mm -hmm. heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, um, the functioning of that anatomy, like it can't be dependent on what you're doing with body parts. And I also think it's really important that it's consensual because yeah. I've had clients tell me I lost my virginity when I was raped. Mm. And as, I mean, virginity is such a, that's a whole, that's a whole other context, right? But that also isn't sex in my mind, because it's not about what we're doing with particular body parts. It's not about some sort of goal of orgasm. It's I really- what's really important about that. I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you, but I just wanna, yeah. this is super important is that being sexually abused does not necessarily mean that you had intercourse. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically there could have been a penis inserted, which would meet sort of that definition, but I would not consider that sex. Sex but is consensual. Yeah, there are all there right. are all kinds of uh, uh, there's all kinds of abuse that goes on that that has nothing to do with that. Right. So anything that is non-consensual, I don't put. Yeah. can't. That's not sex. Uh, but sex is not dependent on oh, particular anatomy or or what you do with it. Super fascinating. So uh, how do you define sex? Well, where my my working definition is it's a consensual physical expression of our innate drives for love, connection, and pleasure. Oh, I love that. That's great. You know, and I had somebody, I had somebody like questioning, yeah, I don't know if it's devil's advocate. So if I sit on the couch eating popcorn with my partner, does that count as sex? You know, physical <laughs> pleasure. And it's like, well, I, maybe there's something about intentionality. If that's all you have access to, quadriplegic or something, and you can eat pop. I mean, I would count that as sex. Mm -hmm. If you're zoning out in front of the TV and not really connected with each other, and that's not really the place you're coming from, then I wouldn't. So anyway, I'm still working on the definition, but it's about, fundamentally, it's about pleasure and connection. Yeah, and sharing you know, that when you think about um, how sex workers approach sex, you know, a, a, a clear boundary they'll set for themselves is it's not emotional. Some sex workers won't kiss because they associate that with emotional intimacy. And so they may, they're maintaining in their mind a clear boundary between how they're making money and when they're actually having sexual relations. Right, right. So that would be on the pleasure end of the spectrum. Like it's some combination of pleasure and connection because we can certainly have, you know, sex can be not intimate at all, <laughs> you know, or it can be very intimate. So um, how much connection you're feeling, I guess that varies in the situation. But basically, yeah. any all that sexual play that you were having, I would count as sex. You know, so for partners who are struggling with something, and so, the, so would I. <laughs> yeah, the, the parts aren't working. You know, if they don't have access to some act for whatever reason, based on anatomy or functioning, it's like there are other things, and it all counts as sex. And but some, can start sometimes in life, there are little lies we tell ourselves in order to yeah. we're in integrity. <laughs> right. All right. So let's flip to the other side. So the other side is you have got two people who are consensual and love and care for each other. 
And for one reason or another, uh, maybe they have differing desire or maybe, uh, maybe just the actual act has become less interesting to them for some reason, where once there was some chemistry, how do you approach that? Well, a lot of it is, is um, giving them a new paradigm around this. Like they need to understand, first of all, desire discrepancy is universal because why would any two people want exactly about the same amount of stress? Sex? Yeah. So they have to understand that that's not broken, but frequently they're falling into what I call the traps of this. So the person more interested is taking this personally and feeling yes. rejected. And this is about them. And this why is don't maybe you want me. Right. So I'm not attractive or important or lovable, but that's not really? that I've ever felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that. That's really changes the meaning of the sex. Now we're not sharing something together. Now I need to have sex with you so that you feel okay about yourself. So I can get something from you. Yeah. Or, yeah. It, or that you'll just be all right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, that's way well, less I can engaging. feel attractive so I can feel validated or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To, pr to prove something. So, and so I won't pout tomorrow or feel dejected or something. And so that's, of course, makes sex, sex less and less engaging to the other person. And then the person with less desire often feels broken. Like what's wrong with me that I don't mm. just want sex like I used to, I don't want as much as my partner does. Often their partner also thinks they're broken. Like something's just wrong with you. You're repressed or your libido's dropped off and it's your fault. And they don't understand that our libido changes and the nature of it changes. Oh, there's so, there's so much to unpack here. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Can we do another episode down the line? Sure, sure. Yeah, Cause there, there's a lot here. This is there's so much here. Yeah. All right. So um, let's say that let's say that you have a couple that doesn't feel well sexually matched. What? How would you work with them? What would you suggest for them? Well, again, it depends sort of what the issue is. If it's desire discrepancy, that's what they don't feel matched in, which is the most common thing I see. Then we've got to sort of unpack you know, these traps and these patterns. We have to expand what counts as sex. And we really have to understand the idea that Lots of people don't feel spontaneous desire for sex, but if they started and they got some touch and they're connected and maybe their body wakes up and they get aroused and now they want sex. So we have to create way more opportunity for that. Mm -hmm. That's like the super cliff notes version. Um, and there are other ways to share pleasure that don't, you know, don't have to have sex. It doesn't have to look the way you expect it to look. The other kind of sort of incompatibility I'll hear about sometimes is what each person finds erotic, you know, so say somebody's kinky and somebody isn't, or somebody, you know, I don't know, they both want the other one to be dominant or some, something like that, where they have more like an erotic mismatch. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a little trickier because we've got to find ways that there's some sort of overlap where we can bring in both of their eroticisms. I don't even know if that's a noun, but like <laughs> some way to, pl to play within that space, hopefully. Now. Yeah, now it is. Well, and I have, a, it's interesting. I have, I have a lot of clients, uh, couples who are both sort of a personality types. And so that whole idea of dominance is really, uh, really comes into play there. Yeah. And they probably yeah. want to be less dominant in the bedroom is my guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's not, but it's not always the same. And on some days, you know, one partner may want to be more dominant. On another day, another partner might want to be more dominant or on some days, one partner might want to be, you know, more submissive and they sort of have to, well, they don't have to, but if they want to enjoy their time together, there's going to be, a, they're going to work out. All right. How are we going to, you know, how does this feel today? Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of an exploration of, first of all, do you even know what's erotic to you? Like, what is your eroticism and can you share that? And what's your partner's? 
And then is there is there some easy overlap to play in, which would be great. And if there isn't, is there some way to bring this in through fantasy or can you take turns or what, you know, can you stretch a little bit? Like it takes, you know, here's my Venn diagram, right? It depends how big an overlap it is. And then occasionally people are just so different in what's erotic to them that there isn't any. Um, And, you know, and then people sometimes are going to open the relationship a little bit and have some experiences with other people, or they're just going to, they're going to pursue their erotic interest in their own masturbation life, you know, in their solo sex. Yeah, well, and I guess depending on your beliefs, that can be very limiting on that. I mean, I'm thinking of clients that I have that are very strict Christians and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, how that impacts their, their sexuality and their sex life and, you know, what they do when they have feelings that are out of alignment with their belief system, which I believe is probably not that uncommon for any human being in any belief system. Right. You know, there's a lot happening there. there yeah. I'm telling you, there's so much we could talk about, Jessa. It's, I know. <laughs> Jessa, um, I'm sure that what you've been talking about has intrigued my listeners as it's intriguing me. How can people find you and, and sort of how do they get to know you? Well, I would, I would suggest they go to my um, sort of not my sex therapy site so much because I only work in Washington, but intimacywithease.com where you can find my book and more about my online course. And especially I've got a free webinar about how to want sex again. So it never feels like a chore. Nice. So that that's where I would start probably. Yeah. Everyone likes a good free webinar. That's a great. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, what's just so I understand, what's the distinction between your sex therapy practice and intimacy with ease? Well, sex therapy, I'm working directly with therapy clients, you know, couple via via Zoom now, it's all telehealth, but I can only do that in Washington state because that's where I'm licensed, right? So that's direct client work. And of course, it's very limited space. Intimacy with Ease is sort of my online course and more, you know, where people can work with me um, not in a therapeutics way, but more like a coach, right? So that's where I've got those resources for people all over the world, really. And um, may I ask you a, a professional question? Sure. I'm curious how you make the distinction between coaching and therapy. Well, besides, I don't. Besides that you're legally bound in Washington to only do therapy there. <laughs> well, because I don't, I, I don't even do the coaching sort of one-on-one. That's all a group, you know, it's an online course with a group office hour question and answer kind of setting. So it's very, very different than therapy. It's, it's less intimate. <laughs> Way less. Yeah. And, you know. Uh, and I'm but it, it still it, makes the concepts available to people and gives them some place to at least start. Maybe they'll still go into therapy. But. I'm going to guess it's probably more tool oriented and less um, emotional exploration. Yeah, I mean, or the the emotional exploration I give them in the program about delving into some of this and reflecting and journaling, they, they have to do on their own. And again, you know, for a lot of people, their relationship is really good and they've needed this framework and these tools and like, how do we, what do we do to make this different? And for a lot of people, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And then others, you know, really would benefit by seeing a therapist. So, well, I have no doubt that there are huge swaths of the population right now wrestling with intimacy, given the changes that have gone on in the way that we live and seems to be <laughs> continuing going on, even though the pandemic has been declared ended by so many people, it seems like it's not so ended and there's still a lot of folks under stress. And I encourage my listeners to reach out. The question I ask everyone at the end of the show is, what is the legacy that you'd like to, to leave behind, Jessa? I, I suppose there's sort of two. One, the main one is, is I really think I'm helping make the world a better place 
one relationship at a time, because I really think if people have a solid relationship, that is a foundation for which they can make a difference in their lives with their children, with their families and their jobs, whatever. Right. And then I would love to think I could chip away at that thing you were talking about societally with this taboo Puritan, you know, sex is bad or scary, or, you know, if we could, if we just realize sex is human and wonderful and it's our birthright, uh, that would be amazing. Well, it's that thing is that whole construct is crazy. Um, yeah. Because the, the taboo leads to uh, portraying sex as less than a loving act at times in the media. And, and like that's sort of the insanity of it. And I, yeah, I would love to see those things. You, you know, I'd love to see a, a more loving perspective on sex in, in the media in general, so instead of objectifying it and making it something for sale. Right, but also not idealized, right? Like what you hear, it's always working yeah. and we see it everywhere right. and it's like, no, 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 it takes work. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I, I actually, I've worked with a number of young men whose sex lives have been destroyed by pornography addiction. And it's because the what they see in pornography is you know 10 levels above what might actually happen in real life for most people. And so it, it's like when they actually start having sexual relations, it's a downer. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that idealized thing is, is big. All right. It, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much. And I, and we're definitely going to do this again. Thank you. <laughs> Great. You're welcome.